0: well hello there how's it going eh this is what you've been playing wednesday and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing and contributing on this episode are dice and dragons all you can board matthew Legault of scorpio Masque, covery definitely a board game podcast metal meeples and beer cardboard conjecture Friday night games and board on the air. Time to hit Tim Porton's drive through for a double double.
1: What up, gamers? I'm Jason.
2: I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons.
1: And this is what you've been playing Wednesdays. We took a couple weeks off, but we are back. And today we're going to be talking about Scooby-Doo: Escape from the Haunted Mansion, designed by Jay Cormie and Sen Fung Lim. Hopefully, I pronounced that right, and published by the Op Games.
2: Uh, so this is a cooperative game that uh, is for a- ages twelve and above, and it's for one or more players. There's actually no—I don't think I've seen a game like this before where you can have as many players as you want. Uh, yes,
1: you, you have. House of Danger. Oh, an adventure. See, he's
2: always correcting me. <laughs> well,
1: only when you're wrong.
2: Oh, okay. We even reviewed
1: the game, so I mean.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, we had a we had a uh, we've had a, an injury in the family, uh, which has kept us from being able to. Uh, sit at a table and play games so we uh, were we were only able to play this game this week Uh, so we'll talk to you a little bit about it yeah and we
1: played it in two parts and we completed the first part a couple of weeks ago and we don't recommend that you do that this game really sort of should be played in one sitting it's designed that way you can save it but you may want to take some notes but i would say that there's some subtleties that just make over your head unless you're playing the game all in one shot.
2: Or at least close together, like one, like a Saturday and a Sunday. Or Our plan was, you know, we played it before lunch and we planned to play it after lunch and it just didn't work out that way. Nope,
1: it did not.
2: So this, uh, to talk more about the game itself, um, it's a. I would say this is a fun game to play um, with kiddos.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a family game. This is a quoted Chronicles game, so it's very easy to play straightforward. You're going to be reading a lot from books as you attempt to solve the mystery and escape from the haunted mansion.
2: I, what I did enjoy is it really felt thematic to Scooby-Doo. Uh, oh, I, this
1: feels exactly like an episode. It's written like an episode too.
2: It, and, and uh, for that, it's a lot of fun. And I, I enjoyed uh, reading the clues out of the book, uh, the way that they're using the, uh, the numbered coding uh, and how each character has that ability of either investigate or smell or eat. Yep, views. it's.
1: some of them aren't as obvious as uh, I would have liked. We probably actually missed uh, an opportunity to eat with uh, with Shaggy. And it's very interesting because you'll not have the entire party for the whole game. So you're going to be focusing on different mystery in characters depending on where you're at in the game. Which is exactly like an episode of Scooby-Doo because they always get separated. They're never all together. So... It's really fun that way.
2: So I look forward to playing this. I mean, it says ages 12 and above, but I definitely think uh, if you're playing this adults, uh, you can play it with younger kids for sure. Uh, I think that it would actually probably be more fun that way. Uh, and I look forward to playing with our little guy at some point. Um, yeah, it's going to be many years
1: down the road, though.
2: Yeah, well, it'll sit on the shelf until then. Yeah. Um, Because for me, I say it'll sit on the shelf until then, because for me, uh, I am not a big puzzles fan. I don't enjoy pulling out a puzzle and doing them. I never have. And there are quite a few little puzzles in this game that kind
1: of annoyed me. They're a little clunky, to be honest. So some stuff doesn't line up exactly right. Uh, There's actually an error in our copy of the game. Uh, When we saved it, we did miss something and we are supposed to open Secret Envelope 3, so not a spoiler, just if you are playing the game and you have not opened that envelope and you saved it, and you're starting Chapter 2, you have to open it, otherwise you cannot advance in the game. And then the way the, the Skeleton Key is written, it says one thing, but in order to solve one of the clues, well, you don't follow what's written on the Skeleton Key's instructions. So there are some clunky things like that which are a little annoying, but I don't. It doesn't detract from the overall experience of the game.
2: Yeah, I, I think the game was fun. Like I said, it would definitely be uh, fun as a family game for the two of us. I don't think this is uh, our our style of game to play uh, often, just the two of us.
1: Um, no, and this is very much a one and done. Like I, we're going to be saving this to play with uh, our little guy. But I have no problem lending this out to people that want to play it, that know that would we'll take good care of it, and that we we'll get it back because. Once you play the game, you're not going to be taking this back out for a very long time.
2: Unless you have short-term memory issues.
1: Yes, very much so. If you have the memory of a goldfish, then yes, you can play this every weekend.
2: (laughs) So uh, that was our short gameplay week. Uh, If you want to catch our review, uh, this review will be out uh, not this week. Probably next week. Yeah,
1: probably sometime next week, maybe over the weekend. We're trying to catch up on a few things since we had about two weeks where we were not producing new content. You still got some great content from us. It's just pre film stuff. It was really only last week where we were missing a video and I was a little disappointed about that and disappointed we couldn't participate in the podcast.
2: So if uh, you'd like to hear more or see more of our videos, you can uh, catch us at Dice and Dragons at YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, yes, but it's
1: Dyson Dragon on Twitter. Someone beat me to the S!
2: <laughs> so, again, uh, thanks for listening and uh, see you next week. Yeah, and don't forget, until then, keep, keep playing, playing games. games!
3: Hi, everyone. This is Matthew Lego here from Scorpio Masqué, the Montreal-based board game publisher who is the only publisher with two number ones on Board Game Geek. Decrypto, the number one party game, and Zombie Kids Evolution, the number one kids game. Not bad, eh? Today I'm here to tell you about what I've been playing. Now, although I'd love to say that I decided to embark on the Felduary bandwagon because of what everybody on here has been saying all month, the reality is that I've been playing Feld games. Well, I might even say obsessively, since this whole crazy COVID thing started nearly a year ago. I've been playing Castles of Burgundy on Yucatan nearly non-stop, either with uh, friends in the evenings or with the video chat thing going on, or with strangers, making a couple of moves a day during breaks at work or while the kids are playing outside in the snow. I also tried Macau, but after a few plays I realized that the whole forward planning element of the rondelle wasn't for me. I mean, don't even get me started on Zolkin. And the games all seem to follow a very formulaic path. Not for me. I also gave, uh, gave uh, foreign Trajanum a spin, but I didn't really like it. I mean, that was months ago, and I can't even remember now what it was that I didn't like about it so much, but I just, I know that I never wanted to play it again, and neither did any of my group, so we left that aside. But there is one Feld game that I've been playing every single Saturday evening with friends now for over three months, and I was playing way back into the beginning of COVID as well, and that is Trajan. Now, in Trajan, you play... Well, it's not really clear who you are in the game. The game takes place in Rome in the second century AD, and you're someone who is trying to boost your power, it says in the rules. It's a felled euro, what do you want? An entire overdeveloped universe with a colorful cast of characters? I don't think so. But anyway, in Trajan, you can boost your power by doing a number of different actions. You can collect goods cards, you can do some set collection with them and then ship them to gain points, or you can move around, around a map of Europe and populate it with legionnaires. Uh, you can deploy builders into the city of Rome itself to collect sets of tiles for end-game bonuses. You can visit the forum to collect tiles that give you extra actions or otherwise help your cause. You can increase your influence in the Senate, which will give you access to end-of-game scoring tiles as well. Or you can visit the Arch of Trajan to take a Trajan tile, which will give you bonuses and victory points. So there you go, a wonderful, super-easy potpourri of actions to choose from, tons of paths to victory, (laughs) what a delight. Oh, wait, what? In order to select an action, you need to drop the last of your group of action markers into that space in a circular mancala mechanism? Oh, okay. Now, for those of you who might not know, Mancala is an ancient game that some say dates back to ancient Egypt or even further and consists of picking up tokens like stones or pebbles or beads or whatever in a bowl on a track and then dropping them one by one into each bowl further along the track. You can probably see me doing that motion with my hand in front of the microphone right now. Now the more tokens there are in a bowl, the further along the track you're going to go. Now in Trajan, they aren't bowls, they're six action spaces, and the track is a circle. So if you pick up three action markers, you'll drop them in every subsequent space, and then do the action of the third space along the track where you dropped your last marker. Oh, and your markers are coloured. So if you have a Trajan tile attached to that last action space, and you have two colours indicated on that tile, you get the bonus of the Trajan tile as well as your normal action when you drop that last little marker in there. Now the picking up and dropping of your action markers also serves as a time track, which determines the length of each quarter of which there are four in the game, obviously, before the game ends and you do your points calculation. So if you manage to organize your action markers just the right way, you can do powerful actions on your turn, chain combinations together, get your military leaders sweeping across Europe, dropping legionnaires behind them, while sending goods-laden ships off over the horizon, building sprawling neighborhoods in the Eternal City, and charging up the Victory Point track. Or you could uh, end up with all your markers lined up so that they all fall on the same completely useless space that doesn't help my strategy at all. And how did I manage to do this? I mean, everything was going so well, but there they are. There's like two here, and three here, and four here, and they all land on the same space. The last little fly in the ointment is the fact that you need to meet the demands of your people, the Romans. And they are a fickle bunch. Sometimes they want games, sometimes they want bread, (laughs) imagine, and sometimes they want religion, or tons of religion and only a bit of bread. And you have to make sure that you have those things at the end of each quarter, or the people will make you pay by removing victory points. Yes, it's still a euro. It all comes down to the victory points. What a game. Like, this game, like Castles of Burgundy, never grows old for me. Even though I rarely win, the delight of chaining together your mancala moves to a series of super maneuvers is second to none. It is so satisfying. And despite my snide comments, the theme in the game really bleeds through, for me at least and maybe it's because I played it so much that the theme has really kind of grown on me, but I really like it. There are so many paths to victory as well in this game, and the best way to win is really by doing a bit of everything, which fits my play style perfectly. There are well, a few things, I should say, that I find less fun than specializing in one thing in a game and getting dragged along a log chute that I no longer have any control over and getting the feeling that the game is playing me. Trajan lets me dabble. Maybe this quarter I want to play politics and drive myself way up the Senate track. And then maybe throw in a bit of building on the side, and oh, I can try my luck with the cards as well. And then when you throw in the mental puzzle of the colored action markers, this game is such a delight. Now, it's a heavier Euro, and there's a bit of a learning curve, but it is well worth it for those of you who enjoy these games. Oh, and another reason I love playing this game is because whenever people do the build action, In the City, I sing, In the City, Whoa-ho! By Joe Walsh. You know, from the movie The Warriors? Which has no relation to the game. But still. In the city!
0: Woo-hoo!
3: Damn it, Feld, you've done it again. So that's it for me. This is Matthew from Scorpion Masque. Go and check out our games at scorpionmasque.com. And when you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter and get all the news and insights into our industry. Finally, thanks to the gang at Cardboard Conjecture for inviting me along. I'll see you all next time
4: hey there this is ian from the cardboard conjecture podcast i've been doing some online gaming this week mostly um, board game arena and tried out a new game or new to me anyway I tried the two-player version of Seven Wonders called Seven Wonders Duel for the first time. And I quite liked it. I had not played it before, even though I'm a huge Seven Wonders fan. Because I'm not usually a big fan of these kind of two-player versions, dice game versions of of other games. So I just kind of let it go. Although Seven Wonders is a game that, even though it says it's two to seven on the box, it's not. It's one of those games you should not play with two players. But luckily, this version is actually a pretty good uh, two-player edition of one of my favorite games. So what I'm gonna do is just talk a little bit about the differences and similarities between Seven Wonders and Seven Wonders Duel, at least from the first few games that I've tried out. The first thing that I realize is that You can't really do the card drafting as a two-player game. That's kind of lame, just passing a hand of cards back and forth. And so what Seven Wonders Duel does is that you set out the cards in this pyramid structure, and so you have to unlock the cards available by buying the cards before it, which is an interesting idea that kind of replicates the hand drafting and choosing one card and then letting your opponent choose whatever you've left behind. So that works really well. Another thing I noticed is that money seems to be hard to come by here because you don't trade or, you know, you don't lend people money for their resources like you do in regular Seven Wonders. And because of that, discarding your cards for for $2 every time is actually a much bigger part of this game than it was of regular Seven Wonders, which I thought was actually pretty interesting. They also change the science up a little bit, so it's not just a set collection of three of a kind and as many of one kind as you can get, like it is in Seven Wonders. In Duel, if you get two different symbols of a kind, you get these neat little bonus tokens that add a little bit of flair to the game that I like. And you also can win the game if you can collect all six symbols throughout the game, which I almost did in the last game and the military because you know the military you're fighting with your neighbors in Seven Wonders but in Seven Wonders Duel you have one neighbor and it's the only other player in the game and so instead it's like a tug-of-war track similar to you might see it in something like Twilight Struggle where if you score points you push it towards them they score points they push it towards you and if they get it all the way to the end they win a military victory which might have happened to me last game. So I think that that's a pretty neat way to implement the military strategy as well. So all in all, I got to say, this is a really good two-player version of Seven Wonders. So Seven Wonders Duel, I know it's been out for a few years and it is very popular and has been considered one of the best two-player versions of a game for, I don't know, for a while now. But this is my first time actually trying it. So, Seven Wonders Duel. If you're a big Seven Wonders fan and you haven't checked this one out, it really is worth it. Talk to you later.
5: Hello everybody. My name is Ilya and my name is Tyler. Together, we make Covrey, a couple that loves board games.
6: Yeah. Thank you so much for having us at What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. We love our fellow Canadian content. And we love talking about what we've been playing. (laughs) And we've been playing quite a lot this past week. Mm -hmm. We've been on a big roll and write kick lately, so we've been trying a lot of various games out of that, including Bravo, uh, Fleet the Dice game, Ripple Rush. Yeah. But today we want to talk to you about some of the bigger games we've been playing. Exactly. And that is Bloodstone by Skybound Tabletop and Sleeping Gods. Yeah, exactly. I love both of
5: them. (laughs) Ty, why don't you kick us off today? All right, I'll start by talking about Bloodstone. We were fortunate enough to do a Kickstarter preview for this game, and now that it's live, we get to be all excited even more and talk about it even more. (laughs) But there's a lot of depth to the game. Basically, what Bloodstone is, is it's a arena battle combat game with dice and you'll pick from uh, one to or you'll pick from eight characters and just go from there you'll battle against each other or battle against the raid bosses that they have set up and the whole premise of the story is that this queen has been corrupted queen venera and she's basically just making you do these battles for her entertainment this
6: big coliseum it's yeah. definitely
5: very Exciting and
6: we've played this game so many times in the past week yes. um, we've, We got to battle the first two bosses and the battles themselves are so Interesting and the mechanics with the dice are also quite intriguing too because typically you think dice games It's very luck focused, but they do a lot to kind of mitigate that luck element So if you roll poorly you get more benefits, but if you roll great you also get to do these really cool grand Gestures which always makes it really fun
5: Yeah, it's a great game, and I'm happy we got to play it.
6: (laughs) I'm definitely looking forward to the campaign as well, as there's a novel accompanying the game, and they're releasing, I think, the first few chapters. Today they released the first chapter, so I think on the second day, which will be the Wednesday when this is being filmed, or this is being released, they have a second chapter coming out, which provides quite a lot of backstory to the game as well. And they have reveals almost every day, so I'm very excited to follow that campaign because we don't know everything, so...
5: Yeah, yeah, don't forget that they're releasing more enemies as well, raid bosses. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see that because, yeah, like Ilya said, we didn't get the chance to play, um, play through all the bosses. But hopefully one day. Yeah.
6: <laughs> now the other game we want to talk about is Sleeping Gods. So this was a game we backed last year and we actually just recently got fulfilled. Uh, It is done by Red Raven Games, Ryan Lockett, who we absolutely adore. Above and Below was one of our almost, you can say, gateway hobby games because after that, our collection really kept multiplying and it's still multiplying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But essentially what the game is, is in the early 1900s, you're trying to travel somewhere, but all of a sudden you're kind of entered this lost land and you're trying to awaken the gods to be allowed to go back to where you're supposed to go. So mm-hmm. it's an exploration narrative game. You have a ship and a crew of eight folks um, or nine folks. So yeah. and you're trying to trying to get back in time. but it's really everything in this game, the mechanisms are absolutely genius. You have these cards that give you clues as where you want to go and they use a keyword system. So if you arrive somewhere and you don't have the keyword, you can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge map. The, the amount of content in this game is just massive. And, and it's quite replayable as well. You, there's I think 12 different endings you can and you can use the information you learned last time to kind of try again. So we're very excited. We're, we're a third of the way through our first run of the campaign, but I'm sure this is going to be a game we're going to play many,
5: many more times. Yeah, even just like through the couple of playthroughs we've gone through, it seems that the game is going to be um, relatively evolving throughout. So as Ilya mentioned, there may be multiple endings, and I'm sure that if you go one way, you'll reach one ending. If you go another way, you'll reach a completely different ending. So I'm really excited because it's like, you can go back to the fork in the road and then say, instead of doing this, maybe I'll do this this time. And who knows, it could be a whole different outcome. And there's a whole achievements sheet too that you yes. can like
6: go through. So And we got the expansion as well. So yeah. we'll definitely be playing this one quite a lot. And I think the thing that really, again, sticks out for me is that in a lot of narrative games, I find there's some maintenance or some of the gruesome things you have to go through. Uh, like I'll give, for example, like a seventh continent has an amazing exploration system, but keeping yourself filled with food is a bit annoying at times. This game, everything is very immersive and there's none of that really filler piece. Like each Mm -hmm. turn you're doing something exciting. Even when you're feeding or even when you're maintaining your crew, trying to survive, it doesn't feel like a chore.
5: Yeah, it's a really fun game. Well, that's all we've been playing this week. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Tyler, this is my partner, Ilya, together we make up Cavray. and if you're interested in learning more about us or checking out the content we make you can check out cavray.com or at cavray at most of our uh social handles so youtube facebook twitter instagram
6: and feel free to check out our recent youtube video on bloodstone where we chatted a bit more in depth about it
5: yeah see so if you're interested in backing it
6: well, hope you have a wonderful day, and thanks so much for having us this lovely Wednesday.
5: Thank you. Bye.
7: Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are Bored on the Air, and this is What Have You Been Playing? Uh, on tonight's show, we are going to talk about Gloomhaven. Jaws of the Lion.
8: Yes, the, I don't know if it was long-awaited, but well-received sequel slash prequel to the award-winning Gloomhaven.
7: Yes, this is the game that everybody said should have been the first version of Gloomhaven.
8: Absolutely, yeah. And so we, some backstory on Gloomhaven for us. Uh, I really wanted to play it because I love the idea of kind of a dungeon crawler, campaign-style game. I thought it was really neat. Uh, We got the game, and we set it up, and we did the first... It it was like the trial one, right? Like The the, first one that's supposed to get you into it. uh, And we failed miserably. Yeah,
7: we got steamrolled hard.
8: So then we didn't touch it for a while, and we were like, okay, we got to figure out how we're going to get this game back up and running. And then uh, my mom decided you know recommended that we get jaws of the lion she thought it would be a good good idea when it came out and we played through four games today
7: yeah we did the first four missions uh yeah. for those of you not familiar with jaws of the lion it came out significantly after two gloomhaven years, right? two years after it yeah. and it was marketed for target and to an entry level i've never played gloomhaven before This is to get you hooked so that you can play Gloomhaven better. Yep. Uh, The first five missions are just teaching the game to you. uh, And we finished the fourth one. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten progressively a little bit harder each time. Yep. Or we're just really bad at the game.
8: Possibly. (laughs) Uh,
7: And we had a really good time. We we played four missions in the same day. Uh, Took us about four or five hours. Oh yeah, we
8: started in the afternoon and we finished around 9.40.
7: Yeah, so. <laughs> we started playing and all of a sudden it was 9.40 and we're like, maybe we should have some supper.
8: Yeah, no, it was it was awesome, right? And I don't think this game takes away from Gloomhaven. It does teach you how to play it, gloomhaven is still i think fantastic like it won awards for a reason right yeah it's just if you haven't played a game that's that intense before or that style and there's not a lot out there like it um it's very hard to just jump into whereas this one is much better set up to teach you the rules of the game uh, bit by bit and then you kind of get into the harder missions after you've learned everything.
7: Yeah, having played the first mission in Gloomhaven before, I found that the card play aspect of it took quite a bit to get used to that play. Yeah. And this one eases you into it a bit more, so you're more comfortable when it gets tougher.
8: Yeah, because you start off with a smaller deck of cards, then you add some cards to it, then you replace some of those cards, and then you get to the more complex cards, uh, and you add some more to that so that I think in the next mission we get to uh, pick pick which cards we're, we're we want. We're building our deck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's you definitely get used to reading the cards throughout each scenario.
7: Yeah, and the different aspects of how the monsters move, mm-hmm. uh, how they attack, mm-hmm. the, you know, all of the nuances that Gloomhaven throws at you And, you know, that being said, Gloomhaven does have a great rule book. We were able to learn it and play it fairly error-free from what I could tell. And this one is just reinforcing that, Yeah. but it's spoon-feeding you a little bit.
8: That's the thing. There's nothing wrong with Gloomhaven. No. It's just a lot.
7: Well, picking up a game that has 98 missions in it is a little overwhelming.
8: And there's so many things in it. Um, so this one is nice it's a smaller box Uh, those of you who know gloomhaven it's huge yeah Um, so this is a much more normal sized game box well Uh, it's
7: really the game box that people base everybody's size on until anachrony infinity box came out yeah right which is that next level past that
1: yeah absolutely
8: Uh,
7: so we had a very good time As, as we said we played a lot today But it went by very fast. You know, it was not that we were sitting here and at no point did somebody say, well, you know, we should probably shut it down.
8: Yeah. We were all just like, okay, let's, let's do the next one. Right.
7: Um, Uh, We had help from, uh, Mr. Rodney Smith and watch watch it it played. played. Uh, We watched a video, played it, finished the video. And then moved on to the next one. Yeah, he right? has
8: a five-part series. Each video uh, is ex- is an explanation for the scenario. Yep. Uh, so one, two, three, four, five. And yeah, he goes through how to set up the scenario, some whatever the new rules are in that game uh, versus what was in the last game, and kind of some tips for it. And then we usually paused it, and yeah, the end of the game talks about what you're adding in at the end of that scenario
7: yeah what your bonuses are and stuff like that and you know i thought you know as a series of videos this was extremely well done not that any of his stuff isn't extremely well done but to help us through gloomhaven we didn't read the rule books for jaws of the lion at all no we had one game experience about eight months ago
8: was it that soon? I thought it was longer than that. It might
7: have been more than eight months ago. So, our recollection of how the game played is minimal. Yeah. And it just flowed so well.
8: Absolutely. And I, you know what? The game was really easy to play itself. Yeah. Like, we, we've been kind of talking about comparing it to Gloomhaven, but honestly, the game is so fun. The idea of the Gloomhaven games where you have your map and you're uh, fighting, like, there's a story and you're fighting enemies. Yeah. But there's also treasure that you can collect and gold and items you can pick up. Uh, it's very, to me, it's very Diablo-esque, uh, Diablo yeah. the video game, right, where you're, you know, you're leveling up your character and going through fighting missions and stuff like that. So, yeah,
7: where I kill everything and everybody comes and steals else the up. treasure. Yes, absolutely. Okay, perfect. Yeah,
8: we already figured out that's exactly what we're doing again.
7: Yeah. Uh, nice thing about this one is when you finish it, you can integrate parts of this game into the full gloomhaven version and it tells you how to do that so you're not out the 65 dollars that the game costs which is very very reasonable that's for actually what you're getting.
8: really reasonable for this game compared to some games that cost 65 dollars.
7: exactly okay i'm david and i'm shay and we are bored on the air where you can catch us on cscr every thursday at 6 p.m and we will talk to you next week
8: have a good night
0: Yeah. Hey
9: folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us, at BC BCBoardGamers, and we started uploading some videos onto our YouTube channel. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers, where you can see some unboxing videos, along with a show called Jabs, Just Another Board Game Show. This week I would like to once again highlight some Stefan Fell games that my wife and I have been playing for jewelry Yes, just like I mentioned last week, we've made the decision to play only Stefan Fell games for the month of February. Because why not? He's our favorite designer. So the first game I'd like to highlight is Bruges, released in 2013 by Z-Man Games. Bruges is one of those games where you are not going to be attracted to the look of the game, but rather probably the gameplay at. At its heart, Bruges is a card game with multi-use cards, Cards come in five different colors and can be used to take one of six possible actions. Yes, you heard me correctly, six different actions. They can be used to recruit workers, take money, build a house, discard a threat, build a section of canal, or place a character in a house. Oh yeah, each card has a unique character on it, and all have a slight twist on what kind of ability they grant you. Some are worker replacement actions, some are instant actions, some are end-of-game scoring opportunities, and everything in between. Bruges Bruges is played over several rounds where you will have a hand of five cards at the beginning of the round and will play four cards during that round. The planning it takes to carry out certain actions is tense and satisfying, as you need to follow sort of a recipe at times. There are a few ways to score points throughout the game, but one I find intriguing are the majorities. At the end of a round, you will compare yourself to other players at the table on three different categories, the length of your canal, position on the reputation track, and how many people who, sorry, how many people you have in houses. If at the end of a round, you have the clear majority in one, two, or even all three of those categories, you can claim that you had majority at one point in time in the game to score four points. If you play like me, you'll most likely claim one right off the bat another one in the mid-game, and then maybe never, never clear, uh, claim that third one. Bruges is also a game of finding synergies amongst your cards. I'm a fan of finding those worker placement type cards to trigger other actions on my turn, you know, as long as I keep taking actions to claim more workers. I usually don't focus too much on building out my canal sections, though there are big points to be had there, as if when you complete a section of the canal, you can claim a statue tile that is worth points at the end of the game, And they start off with big points and decrease in value as more are claimed. I've always had a lot of fun with Bruges for what it is. And I know it's not the most popular fell game out there. A lot of players will get hung up on the RNG of the cards. When you draw cards, they come from one of two stacks. And you only can see the colors of the cards that is being drawn. You may be looking for a specific color to, you know, fill out your canal, gain a certain type of worker or discard a certain type of threat, and that color just does not come up for you. That's a problem. I do have for this game, but it it does not have to... I don't mind the randomness at all. Apparently, some of this is going to be addressed in the new version of Bruges called Hamburg, being released by Queen Games later this year as Steffenfeld's City Collection. The other game i like to talk about is Aquasphere. It came out in 2014 and published in North America by Tasty Minstrel Games. Aquasphere is a much heavier fell design and where there's lots of forethought that needs to happen to play the game efficiently. I would put this game in the realm of kind of like an you know, action programming game, where you're programming bots to carry out certain actions for you. But you can only carry out an action if you have the associated bot ready. The main way to program a bot is to progress up what I call a quote-unquote tech tree each round where their actions are randomly placed around uh, around a board. Once you have some bots ready to go, it's time to make them work. Simply take your engineer meeple and place them on one of the six sections of the board and carry out the associated action. Now, what are all the actions? Well, you can have a bot to claim time tokens, and time tokens allow you to move from one section of the board to another section. You can program a bot to place a submarine and submarines help you score some points at the end of each round. You can claim crystals and I'll get to what those do a little bit. Claim a lab extension that increases your storage of goods and other things. You can claim a research card that makes certain actions more efficient. Um, You can also clear away octopods to score points. After you've taken a bunch of actions in a round, there'll be some intermediate scoring. During this phase, you'll score points for having a majority of bots on the main board, how many bots you've deployed, and how many crystals you have. And of course, you're also gonna lose points if you're ever occupying an area that still has octopods. Now, while scoring points on the point track, something very interesting happens. You see, there's a red line every about, you know, I think it's about every 13 points, where in order to cross that line, you must pay a crystal. Now if you can't pay a crystal, you have to uh, pay a programmed bot. If you can't pay that either, you simply just stop lo- you just simply just stop and you lose all remaining points. Bonus though, if you can manage to cross one of those red lines, you can't fall below it. Very advantageous if you know you're going to lose a lot of points because of octopods. Now, you're going to proceed like this for four rounds and then the end of game scoring happens where you're going to score a bunch of more points, you know, for, you know, things that are in your lab and leftover resources and such. Now, I remember Aquasphere being a very frustrating game when I first learned it years ago. And I think I even, even hated it at one point. But after many more plays, it grew on me. I could see the the intricacies in the actions and the planning that needs to take place in order to do well. You need to go into the game with a semi-plan and try to execute that plan efficiently. Now, sometimes the tech tree doesn't seem to be in the right order for your actions, but there will always be something for you to do. Aquasphere finally is resting in one of my, my top 10 fail games of all time. And I have very little to complain about it after all those initial frustrating games. At times, this game is very AP and is the an AP player's worst nightmare. With times, players uh, with times players need to sit there for quite a few moments to math out their most optimal plays. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, just something to keep in mind. Well, that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see what we've been playing up to lately. Also check out our recently revitalized YouTube channel, Uh, Bridge City Board Gamers. Okay, folks, that's enough of me fumbling around with my words this week. See you next week.
10: Hey everyone, I'm Dylan and I am one half of All You Can Board. Carlo, the other half of All You Can Board, is missing this week, but he will be back on the next one that we are a part of. Um, but I am really happy to be here and to talk about what I've been playing. Uh, if you don't know All You Can Board, you can find us at www.allyoucanboard.com or also on YouTube and Twitter and uh, all the social media channels. Uh, so feel free to hit us up there. We'd love to talk to you. Um, but yes, yeah, so what have I been playing? Uh, what I've been playing uh, in the last few days has been Sumatra, which is a new Reiner Knizia game from uh, publisher Ludonova. It is a ton of fun. Uh, I can't stress that enough, so I'm a huge Reiner Knizia fan as it is, uh, so most of his games uh, resonate with me and I usually have a lot of fun with. Uh, this one, I didn't really know what to expect. It seems very, very simple when you read the rules. Um, it, it You almost don't know where the, what the strategy is. You know how to play, and you sit down and start playing, and you think how is this gonna go? Because I'm not really sure exactly. I know what I'm trying to accomplish and I know how I'm gonna win, but I'm not quite sure how I'm gonna get from point A to point B here. So um, basically in this game, you're traversing the island of Sumatra, which is the largest island in in, uh, Indonesia. uh, And you're moving around the map with your opponents And at every spot you go to, there's going to be a new amount of tiles that are put on the table available to everyone. And you're going to be picking those tiles uh, to be able to bring them into your notebook. And every tile has a different category uh, associated with it. And those categories are going to score differently. And so you'll have a strategy based on which type of tiles you're grabbing and which ones you're competing with with your opponents for. So it seems simple that way, but there's this extra extra layer of strategy because there is this notebook token in addition to the player pawns on the map and depending if you are on the same spot as the notebook token ahead of it or behind of it, uh, you're going to get a different set of actions that you can carry out on your turn. So if you're behind the notebook, you actually have to spend your entire turn just moving up to catch up to it. So it's kind of it's this thing where you do not want to fall behind unless you absolutely have to. Um, Whereas if you're ahead of the notebook, that will actually refresh the stock of tiles and your opponent or opponents are left trying to catch up to you. So you can actually choose not to take tiles and rather move ahead because it puts the pressure on your opponents to decide, do I want something badly enough from what I'm seeing on the table to fall behind the notebook and essentially lose a future turn? Or do I have to race ahead as well because my opponents put the pressure on me to do so? So it seems like this simple thing, but it really adds this extra depth to it where if I don't want any of the tiles that are out or I know that my opponents really want a lot of them, I can just push ahead to really make them think about what they're gonna do or rethink their strategy. And at the same time there's a limit to the amount of each tile that's in the bag so i think there's something like 100 tiles total but for instance the volcano tiles which are are a pretty valuable one there's only five in the entire bag and so if you're playing this at three four or even five players suddenly there is this huge competition to try to score these tiles because there are so few of them and if one of them comes up everyone is going to be trying to grab one especially if it's in in their strategy or something they something they've set up for so um, it's a really, really simple game, but it's surprising how much it really makes you think. And, uh, it actually moves pretty quick too. So, uh, especially at two players, you're going to be, uh, finishing a game in probably like 45 minutes. I think on the first time I ever played this game, uh, it clocked in at under an hour. So I'm, I'm assuming that after you've played it a few times, um, and you're familiar with the rules, this can be flying by obviously with more players, it'll be a little bit longer. But overall, I really, really have enjoyed this game. And shameless plug, but we do have a how to play video for it that we just uh, just put out on our channel. Uh, so if you're looking at how to play uh, Sumatra, or you're just wanting to learn a little bit more about it and see a full rundown of everything there is in the game you can check that out on all of our channels um, besides sumatra i am still uh like i have been for the last x amount of months uh playing marvel champions uh solo i really really enjoy playing marvel champions solo uh, i think it's a one of my favorite solo games um the new hero pack quicksilver recently came out i think about two weeks ago or just on just over two weeks ago um and i'm really really enjoying playing quicksilver thematically Uh, It's one of the most thematic characters, I would say. Uh, Quicksilver obviously being uh, um, super, super fast. uh, His ability is that he gets to essentially have, if you're not familiar with Marvel Marvel Champions, you have these basic attacks and basic uh, abilities you can do in your turn. And Quicksilver essentially gets uh, to double dip on these um, because of the fact that he's so fast and other cards in his hand will allow him to do even more like three four five of them so thematically it ties together super super well um and even though i don't think he's necessarily the strongest hero that i've used in marvel champions in in fact i know he's not the strongest one in my opinion but he is one of the most fun uh heroes i've played so far Uh, and i think it's just so darn interesting how many ways they find to bend the rules of this game and add new thematic ties in with new heroes and new ways to sort of um, you know, take a game that's been out for uh, for over a year now, or a year and a half almost, uh, and find new ways to reinvigorate it and keep it fresh and keep it fun. So I'm, uh, I'm still having a ton of fun with it. If you haven't uh, checked on Marvel Champions, I would highly recommend it, especially if you're into any sort of card games or, or have been in your life, uh, whether it's Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh! or, or, or any of them, um, or any of the other LCGs like Arkham Horror um, or Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, I, there's a lot to love here, um, and it's a, there's a really, really low barrier to entry. So though that's what I've been playing, Sumatra, Marvel Champions. I have been playing also ReNature, but I'm going to leave that to a future discussion because I've only played one game of it, um, and even though I absolutely loved it, it's one I want to talk about with Carlo because we played it together and we were both blown away. So I'll leave that as a tease for the next time we talk. Uh, once again, I am Dylan from All You Can Board. You can find us at www.allyoucanboard.com. We would love to see you around our channels, and, and uh, to chat, so feel free to drop by and drop us a line. Otherwise, thanks for listening.
11: Okay,
12: I'm Matt and I'm John and we're Friday Night Games.
13: So you can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Twitch at Friday Night GMS, our website at FridayNight.games, and uh, you could search us on YouTube now too. So check us out.
12: All right. We're here to talk about what we play Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, what we love about it, what we hate about it. Obviously, how we played it wrong because that's just so, uh, you know, every game's got so many rules now. It's hard to play anything right. Oh,
13: man. Wait until we talk about this one.
12: Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <All right>, Matt, <laughs> what did we play this week?
13: Well, I you know, I played Ascension, and I started uh, playing um, Aeon's End, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Batman, the animated series, and the module we played was Shadow of the Bat. Nice.
12: Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So Batman, the animated series, is a scenario-based game, story game, Uh, where you take on characters from the Batman Animated Series universe and play in a sort of D&D-style game.
13: Uh, You can play as the villain or the heroes in a competitive mode, or you can play a cooperative mode versus an AI-controlled opponent.
12: Uh, Characters have special ability cards that you select uh, before you go into combat. You roll dice to determine what actions you can do during your turn, like move, attack, inspect, etc.,
13: Uh, You play through a bunch of episodes, and each episode has a bunch of acts. Um, They have objectives, which you need to complete to win each act in the episode, and it kind of plays out from the animated series itself in a thematic way, which is super cool.
12: Yeah, there's a lot uh, to the game, so just understand that you are playing a game with a grid-based combat uh, and dice that uses abilities. And uh, rounds consist of rolling dice, fighting, moving, um, villain turn, and then everything sort of resets.
13: Yeah, just <clears throat> think of it as playing d d There's a million rules. Um, you just kind of <laughs> have to jump into it first, and that's how you're going to go through it. You just jump into it, you play it, you know it's DD, you know you're going to screw everything up, and just do it. <laughs>
12: Well, besides screwing it up, why do we love it?
13: <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, John? Why do you, why do you love it so much?
12: Uh, I just love it. obviously it's Batman, mm-hmm. so I'm just anything Batman. I'm a sucker for.
13: I grew up with Batman the animated series, one of my favorite cartoons growing up, and so I I love it too. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, they made a game of it. To be honest,
12: it's pretty it's pretty iconic uh, TV show. So, and plus Kevin Conroy is like, you know, that's the voice of Batman. Mm, yeah right and i don't i don't think any anyone compares to the voice of batman so
13: no i absolutely agree with that i think his voice is what is in my head head when i think of batman so that's super cool yeah. uh game wise i think it's like super D D ish it's like D light um and i i really like it in that aspect it's a long game i'm not gonna lie it's a long game but it plays out really well, and it's cool that you can play a villain versus heroes, which I, which I, which we didn't play. We played co op only, but um, right. I think that that's cool that you could do that. I also love the fact that it's based on the show, and they've released. I think they released an expansion to it also. I know it comes out. It hasn't come out yet. We played on tabletop simulator. It comes out this year. It was kick. It was on Kickstarter last year in January. Um. But, yeah, I really like the idea that they could just keep throwing in anything from the animated series. I think that's super cool.
12: Yeah. I just like it. it, it, it it's cool. The miniatures look really cool. Um, the story was pretty neat. We played a story where you have to um, save a bunch of hostages that were uh, gassed by the Joker. Um, then you're pretty much paralyzed, and but they are aware of their surroundings and then one of the hostages has a bomb around their their neck, so you have to uh, save the hostages and deactivate the bomb, and uh, destroy all the character, all the bad guys. So yeah. it was a neat little story. I enjoyed it.
13: Yeah, and when we played it, we played it <coughs> twice, same same uh, act of the same episode, and uh, we won. We won, but we don't know <laughs> how well we did. We came down to the wire <laughs> the first game, and then the second game we we're kind of yeah. kicking its butt because we kind of knew how to uh, play a lot better. So. Yeah. So on that note,
12: John, what so, did we, how
13: do we play it wrong?
12: Oh, um, I don't even know. <laughs>
13: the question is how do we We
12: p- we st- we started playing it? I don't know. <laughs> like how do we
13: play it? How did we play it right? Maybe that's the real question, right?
12: <laughs> do we play I still it? I right don't know. Wrong? <laughs> I know. Um, you know, we roll the dice and then set. So, uh, okay, so
13: that that is when you roll the dice, you can actually they're supposed to you're supposed to line them up because people who are adjacent to you can use your outer dice you have three dice you roll the dice there's one that go on the edge there's two that go on the edge one that goes in the center the two on the edge are shared between all the players so you can strategically place which dice in certain locations so other people can use it does that make sense Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't do that. We were just roll, 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 place, place, place.
12: (laughs) We didn't even care. I (laughs) mean, that's probably just easier to do on Tabletop Simulator than moving stuff around, so.
13: Right, but if you're going to play the game fully, you know, you're going to strategize that way. You're going to strategize that way. Um,
12: Um, I know know the bat symbol, uh, so on one of the dice, uh, sorry, one of the sides of the dice is a bat symbol, so you're supposed to gain focus. And then uh, roll battle die for health, and we just gain the health, not the focus. Right. Um,
13: when we did our first yeah. playthrough, our second playthrough, we obviously fixed that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to know. Um, <laughs> mo- there's a movement penalty we didn't even realize in the first game that when, you, when you're surrounded by enemies, to move through them, you actually lose one movement point per enemy.
12: Oh yeah, that makes sense.
13: Yeah. So I'm like, wow, but did
12: we did we try to move through an enemy at all?
13: We did in the first game. We did. And did we? Yeah, we just ignored it. Because <laughs> we didn't know, right? There's so many rules. Oh, yeah. Um I don't know. There are uh other movements we didn't do. So on that like reference card, you could actually like <laughs> you can actually like pay two movement legs and those two movement legs will actually like skip you ahead like three or four spaces without any movement penalties
12: okay cool so
13: yeah it's it's uh it's pretty neat so the other thing uh that we screwed up was line of sight so basically line of sight is from center of a space to another space we didn't do that properly uh you have to spend you can spend focus to re-roll the battle dice I didn't know that you could also spend focus to re- re-roll your own dice uh, but only yeah, once. I-
12: i i I feel like i feel like you said that in the rules when we were explaining it but uh i just like tabletop simulator like it just adds so much time anyway so to do stuff like that it just seems almost like i don't want to say pointless but unnecessary if like you know i don't know you did say that rule i remember you saying it and i'm just like it's just gonna take up extra time that we're already wasting playing on on tabletop simulator anyway
13: but. yeah playing on tabletop simulator is going to take you a long time and that just adds to it yeah totally um also the ranged attacks uh and I, we actually screwed this up this game too because when I, when you're doing the op- everyone's the same right you have to move like for instance the gunners are ranged you actually have to move them away to fire and i was just leaving them in the spot and firing <laughs> so that was wrong um, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, and then we did a couple range attacks where we we're like right next to each other, but I'm like I don't even care. Like just,
12: <laughs>
13: you're right. We'd be here forever playing it, right? Uh, especially yeah. when we just got off the stream, and and when you do it on the stream, you you know you're like okay, we need to get through this because this is a three hour game. We only have an hour and a half. We want to get through it, right? all right Um, our first game, the utility. So any character that has a utility belt, you can. So usually it tells you how many special cards, uh, special action cards you start with. You can actually remove one if you have a utility belt, and you can get four gadgets, and those gadgets are only used once per game, which is super cool.
12: Yeah.
13: Um, the other thing is that the we we play this right the second game. Uh, if you have an action card that has an infinity at the top, those are always in play. Those abilities always go. Um, when we played the first time, we thought we actually had to play those cards, and we, we screwed that up. <laughs> and uh, finally, um, special action um, we couldn't. So the special action is you can investigate the cake, you can you can save hostages. When we were playing, we didn't realize that you couldn't do that if there was an enemy next to you because it's like you're under pressure. Okay. And we were doing it versus the Joker. That's kind of how we won. And we're like, oh, we shouldn't have been doing that. But oh well. What are you right. gonna do?
12: Yeah, next time. Yeah, exactly. If there's a next time. Yeah, so what do we hate about it, Matt?
13: Oh, John, bajillions of rules. <laughs> <laughs> i got going to be honest. So, like, before we played tonight, so I read the rule book, and I totally didn't remember everything. We played the game, and I kind of figured out a lot of it through playing the game. I actually had to go and re- re- review a half an hour video, <laughs> which kind of, like, helped me remember... More specifics to the rules, so I'm like, oh, this is what we did wrong. That's what we did wrong. Oh man! So it just there's just so many rules, so many rules. But it, it's good. It's a really you know, if you like D and D types games, you're gonna like it. It's just you have to get you know, you have to maybe play it a couple times before you can really understand everything. Don't go in your first time thinking you're gonna understand everything.
12: <laughs> what about you? Uh, I just think like. Be- I think maybe just my gripe with it is that we played on tabletop simulator and it took so long to play. Um, and with, yeah, like you said, with a bunch of rules and stuff, it's kind of like hard to navigate when you just want to start playing, I guess. Right. So it's a little bit uh, cumbersome at at first, but, uh, I mean, other than that, I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing it. I, I like the Batman games and I like that, uh, you know, it's based off the animated series, which is what we grew up uh, grew up with as kids. Um, that's about it. I just, uh, I just wish that we had it on the table so that we can actually play it.
13: Yeah, I wish we played it in person too. And and I and I totally agree. Like my verdict is that if you're a big fan of Batman and you're a big fan of the animated series, it's almost a must have to play. It is very D D like, so you know it could be like a D and light kind of concept. So it's not quite D D, but it has all it has a lot of things there like you know movement over different areas and like you know how far away someone is for you to attack them so it has all those rules so if you like D&D and you really like Batman this is like a good merger for it and it could actually bring you into the you know the tabletop RPG universe basically
12: for sure cool all right we are Matt and John and we are Friday Night Games don't forget you can check us out on our podcast, it streams on all major streaming platforms every Friday. You can look us up on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore Official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS. Twitch at Friday Night GMS, and our website FridayNight.Games. Thanks, everybody.
11: Yeah,
14: Hello everybody, it's Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer again. uh, I'm joined with my wife, Anna-Marie. Hello. And we are doing the Whatcha Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. Uh, Again, this is uh, about the sixth or seventh or eighth time in a row here. Um, And we are going to concentrate on uh, Family Day. It was Family Day yesterday, and uh, we played a bunch of family games. And we're going to concentrate on two of those. One of our oldest uh, and most favorite family uh, games, as well as one of our newest favorite family games. Um, we're going to start with the new one. It's called uh, Cabo, uh, the Elusive Unicorn Card Game. It's designed by Melissa Limes and Mandy Henning, and uh, published by Bezier Games, um, and it is a two-to-four-player card game. Um, so, this game is kind of... Uh, you have some hidden information. It's really cool. So you get dealt four cards per, per player, and you have them face down in front of you. Your hand is face down in front of you on the table. And you get to look at two of those cards and only two of those cards. And you only get to look at them briefly. And you got to memorize what those two cards are. Or you should if you want to try to win the game. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we would both, say if Anna-Marie and I were both playing it, we'd both uh, look at two of our cards. And then we would either draw from the pile or we would take the uh, the discard, the top of the discard pile. And what you're doing is you're trying to reduce your hand to the lowest amount possible um, by drawing a card and slipping it into your hand face down and replacing one of the cards that you had on there. Say you had a 12, you wanted to get rid of it, and you drew a 3. You would take that uh, 3, put it in place of the 12, and discard the 12. And those cards are really cool because each uh, some of the cards have powers uh, added on them. So you could, you could spy underneath... Uh, your opponent's cards to take a look underneath one of them. You can peek underneath one of your own or you could even swap one with one of your opponents.
15: Yeah, it's fun. It's kind of like a a good luck, bad luck and push your luck game because, you know, you're either on a streak and you're like, yes, you're getting all the low cards. They also have a cool little ability in there where if you have multiples of the same number, so if you have like two fours or three fours Mm -hmm. or four fours, um, you can, if you remember the locations of where they are, and let's say you you pick up a two, you can swap out that one two for those three fours, so you can take your score down yeah. quite a bit. But if you don't remember where those fours are and you get one of them wrong, mm-hmm. you have to keep those three fours plus the two. Right. So you're Ironies. adding
14: cards instead exactly. of getting rid of. So, it, yeah, it's got some really interesting... Things like that. If you you can end up with more cards than you want when you're trying to get rid of cards, and so forth. And when you think you have the lowest hand, uh, if you think you have a lower hand than your opponent across the table from you, um, you're gonna call cabot. And when that happens, your opponent gets another turn, and they get to try to finalize their hand. And then you flip over your cards. And if you do have the lowest hand as the one calling cabot, you actually end up with zero points, and your opponent will just have whatever amount uh that they have over there could be maybe nine or ten points or something like that but if you call kabo and you don't have the lowest uh you get 10 points added to your cards that are laying in front of you so if you had four you would end up with 14 points if you were in fact not the lowest um so it's really cool that way. It's really 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 neat game, really unique uh and one of my new favorite card games.
15: Oh yeah. As soon as the as soon as somebody reaches 100, game ends and then whoever has the lowest amount of points wins. Yeah. Yeah.
14: The, and it, yeah, <laughs> the, the 100 points breaks the or uh, finishes the game and whoever has the lowest point at that point.
15: Uh, it can flip-flop so quickly too. It does. It's yeah. so fun. It's yeah. so good.
14: Yeah, we've played a whole bunch of it lately. And we highly recommend it. But we're going to move on from Cabo to one of our oldest and most favorite games out there. And that's Forbidden Desert uh, from Matt Leacock. Uh, and it was published by uh, Game Right Games and uh, Matt Leacock of the fame of Pandemic and the other Forbidden Games like Forbidden Island, Forbidden Sky. But Forbidden Desert is one of our absolute favorite games of all time. And I'm going to let Anna-Marie tell you why.
15: Yeah, that game and not just ours, our whole family, like both of our boys, uh, so we just love it. It's, um, it's great. It's it's so much fun. You know, you've basically crashed in the desert and you need to build up a flying machine mm-hmm. so that you can uh, so that you can fly out of the desert. So you have to find all the pieces um and you're you're on a board that's made up of tiles and you're you're moving around and you know there but there are conditions if if a certain thing happens to one of your players at any given time the game you lose. So yeah. Like, yeah. you could run
14: out of water. If one of us runs out of water, we all lose. We all lose, yeah. yeah. And
15: and you're running, um, you're running from a storm that's increasing all mm-hmm. the time. It's always getting stronger. So you have these storm cards, and, you know, one will say, like, storm picks up, and then you have to draw more of these storm cards, and they move the storm around. So they'll say, oh, the storm is moving up or over to the left, to the right. It's moving down. And as you move these tiles around, you're adding sand to the tiles. Yep. And if you run out of sand tiles to place...
14: Yeah, the sand is an ever-growing <laughs> threat. You can see it piling up, and if you run out of sand tiles and too much sand is on the board, you lose. Um, if the sun comes out and scorches you, what is a sun? Sun beats sun down. Sun beats down, comes out, and it beats you down, and, and you drop your water levels down. Um, if one of you loses all your water, you die, you lose. And the whole time you're trying to uncover the the little uh, parts for your flying machine to try to, to assemble it to, to get out of here before that happens.
15: Yeah, and if you if you do find all of the pieces, which again, you'll they're pointed to by the tiles, they tell you where to find the pieces. Once you find them, then you go collect them. If you collect all of the pieces of your ship and make it back to the landing pad, keep in mind, all of you have to make yep. it back to the yep, landing pad, has to. Um, then you win, but that doesn't happen all the time. It's very difficult, but that you know, it's a co-op game, which is nice. You're you're playing together. You can you all have input on what you're doing, and each um, each player has a unique yeah. like player
14: ability. Absolutely. Yeah. So it
15: helps to navigate the perils of the desert. So
14: yeah, you know, there's the climber, the water guy. Yeah, the, uh,
15: water guy get, can give yeah. players water. The climber can yeah. go
14: to block tiles. And they're all super useful, which is really nice. Although the water guy is almost always essential. Yeah. But um, the all all the other ones are, are are really good in their own right yeah. as well. Um, and uh, yeah we played this game I would say this this game we've played the most out of any game in our collection Absolutely. Um and it's all ripped and worn out <laughs> and uh, just shows that we love this game.
15: And it's not a win all the time like we're it's no, probably it, 50-50. Yeah, I
14: would wager about 50-50. It's just so much fun to play. Um and we're just going to continue to play it and we we have all the the forbidden games from the series but this one is by a long shot our favorite. And, uh, yeah, we are out of time here again. So, uh, again, this has been Rob and Anna-Marie from Metal Maples and Beer. You can find us on Twitter at Metal Maple Beer and on YouTube for unboxings and things like that. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye.
12: Hello,
16: I'm Aaron Millick. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we're definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when it isn't. That's right. And it's Aaron. And it's Wednesday.
17: So Aaron, what you been playing? Is
16: it Wednesday? Yeah, it's uh, h- Wednesday. How do you know anymore?
17: <laughs> uh, well, because I just took a nap and forgot we were recording. And then you <laughs> woke me up and said, hey, it's Wednesday. It's time to record.
16: <laughs> That's true. I did know it was Wednesday. What have I been playing? All kinds of stuff, but... You know, it's funny, the last time we were on here, you were talking about Canadian games and uh, and Canadian designers, and I was like, you know what, I should check my collection and see if I have any Canadian stuff. And apparently I have well, at least one that I know you've heard of, and I think most of these listeners have heard of. It's called I feel like this is a little bit mean. Is it? Why? Because you were the one
17: that talked about Canadian designers, not me. And you're just rubbing it in again that I forgot I was I was going to do a Canadian designer.
16: <laughs> well, I, I didn't even know we were supposed to. So I just... Uh... No, no, we
17: weren't. It was just a nice coincidence the first time. Uh-oh. This time it's feeling a little bit like, Haha, I'm, I'm still doing Canadian, you're not.
16: <laughs> well, that wasn't my intention. I was just... Uh, you, you just sort of drew my attention to it. And I'm like, do I have any Canadian uh designers that have done my games and the truth is yes i have one it's called sagrada or sagrada yep, yep. sagrada i don't know do you know what it's called <laughs> sagrada sagrada yeah. sure i probably means something uh, i didn't know sagrada
17: had a canadian designer
16: daryl andrews apparently is canadian oh the other guy adrian adamescu is not okay yeah but Sagrada is a great game. I got it at Christmas time and it's been, one that's been on my list for a while. I was very excited to get it and uh, I really enjoyed it. It's actually a pretty quick game. Uh, I've only got had a chance to play it as two players, as I'm sure everyone understands <laughs> what I'm talking about there. Uh, but I've played it with uh, my mom and my, my wife and both enjoyed it. Uh, essentially, you're drafting colored dice and filling out your stained glass window and there are mutual goals, you can achieve your own goals, and there are also uh, tools that will help you in case you make a mistake. So the the main challenge in this game is while you're drafting dice, you can't put two numbers that are the same next to each other orthogonally, which is not yes. a real word. I don't care what anyone says. And- <laughs> <laughs> And also (laughs) uh, you can't put two colors next to each other orthogonally. Diagonally, you can do whatever you want. Uh, So as you're drafting dice, you have to be careful not to trap yourself. Uh, At the beginning, you also draw cards that slide inside your stained glass window uh, that have levels of difficulty and they have certain things you need to achieve. So like certain spots will be red, which means a red dice has to go there. Or it might be the number five, which means you have to have a dice with five to go there otherwise you're kind of free to do whatever you want as long as you're following the rules and uh hopefully you fill your whole board and uh basically whoever has the most points at the end wins i believe it's a point thing i don't remember (laughs) i don't remember how it ends yes meet Uh, objectives to gain prestige and win yes it's points yeah that's my game (laughs) okay what have you (laughs) 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 what have you been playing well i completely forgot the canadian
17: content but i feel like (laughs) i hit the essence of canadian content all right so you're talking about building a stained glass window in spain there's nothing canadian <laughs> about spain we it's have stained warm glass. Sunny. it's beautiful that's true i on the other hand i picked a game where there are people in tuxes on the box nice. so like it's got to be more canadian right because what's more canadian than snow and ice in saint petersburg russia
16: not the- much really yeah <laughs> <laughs> sadly nothing Yeah, so I've I've actually been playing an old game.
17: This is from 2004 originally. It was republished as a second edition in 2014, and it's St. Petersburg. So St. Petersburg is a game. it's, It's very simple. It's just a card game. There are four stacks of cards. You're picking out of those stacks, and the first stack gives you money. The second stack gives you Uh, Points, the third stack can give you either plus their characters and characters are worth bonuses. And the fourth stack you can use to replace existing cards. So it has all of the first three stacks, but it can replace the existing ones instead of just building your own new cards. So it seems so simple. It seems very straightforward. What makes it really cool is a couple things. First, each stack is a separate phase and pays off at the separate times. So you get all your money in that first phase where you buy the money cards. After that, you get very little money until you get back to that phase. So how much money do you save to go from phase to phase becomes a very important thing. And then at a certain point, you need to stop buying money buildings and start buying points. points. And that – transition is where the game really lies at what point do you make that transition do you right. make it too soon or too late uh if you make it too late you're not going to be able to keep up on the points uh, race if you make it too soon you're going to run out of money before the end of the game Ooh. and you're not going to be able to buy the big cards that you need towards the end of the game to really make some huge points so that really cool oh now now i'm going to do it now i'm going to do it <laughs> and if you don't, it's too late So that's St. Petersburg, uh, came out in 2004. This is one of those rare games where I've never played it in person, so I'm actually talking about a game that's on Board Game Arena. Ah, okay. And I've been playing it on Board Game Arena. I've always kind of wanted to, and for whatever reason, I never picked it up, I never got it to the table. I will, I'm gonna correct that mistake. I really like this game, and the new second edition, which is not on Board Game Arena, apparently has quite a few of the expansions that were released for the first one included and makes it much, much better. So I'm looking forward to that. Plus, the art's got to be better on the second one. (laughs) The the first one is so bad. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) It's one ugly game, but it's a really neat card game. takes maybe 30 minutes tops. It's fast. It's really nice. I like it.
16: Cool. So, And that one is on BGA, so I'm going to definitely check it out. And I guess everyone who's listening can also do the same.
17: And while they're checking it out, they can check out our podcast. Why not? Definitely a board game podcast. How's that for a segue? That was awesome. <laughs> Tell them more. Uh, you can find us wherever seg wherever segways live. Yeah. Well, I blew it. <laughs> All right. You can find us wherever podcasts live. Sure. Uh, the podcasts live in Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts. Yep. You can find us at. Uh, what is it? Heart Radio? I Heart Radio or I something know. like that? Yeah. Maybe. You can find us wherever <laughs> you can find your regular podcast, or you can search for Definitely a Board Game Podcast on Buzzsprout. Yep. And finally, you can reach us on social media at Twitter, at BoardDefinitely, and Facebook at board. just to make things a little complicated.
16: Why not? And if you want to drop us an email, definitelyboard at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. I forgot that one. I'm not sure why they'd want to, but there it is, just in case. All (laughs) All right. We'll see you in the next one, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. See you next Wednesday.
0: Hey, everybody. This is Norm from Cardboard Conjecture and Bridge City Board Gamers we want to thank you so much for spending some time and listening to all of these fantastic content creators. I can't tell you how much uh, I'm waiting for the first opportunity once we're able to go out into public and have social gatherings. I can't tell you how much I'm waiting to see all of these people that I get to work with indirectly every week. So that being said, Let's be patient, let's make good choices, and keep your stick on the ice, and take care out there, eh? This has been an episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and it's been brought to you by the very, very cold people from cardboard conjecture. I'm telling you man, this is this is getting cold. But we know what it's like. Take care.